0: Hey everyone and welcome to Open Door Philosophy, a podcast for a high school philosophy teacher, that's me, and his former student who's currently studying philosophy in college, that's me. Unpack a variety of big philosophical concepts in an understandable way, all towards the purpose of living a good
1: life. Welcome to episode 10. Andrew, how are you doing? I'm doing excellent. I just finished up my last week of finals, so life is life is a lot less stressed than it was uh, in the last episode. How are you doing? I'm doing
0: good. I will not. I will not go into uh, all the drama of the last couple weeks of school, <laughs> but let's just say uh, I have looked very forward to the weekends and and all as well. I will say, uh, from a from a natural standpoint, our backyard right now. Like we love gardening. And our backyard right now, I, I would say, is at peak springtime uh, <laughs> bloom. It is just absolutely gorgeous outside. The grass is a deep green, and all the plants are—at uh, least the spring blooming plants—are in full bloom. And there's there's bees, and there's hummingbirds, and and it's just really wonderful in the backyard. But uh, how how's your yard? Tell
1: me about your yard. Ah, <laughs> uh, I'm not uh, I'm not a gardener. I. I guess it looks good. I, I really have been, for the past few days, I, I guess everyone who's listening won't know this, but I've been, uh, this will, in about a month time from now, I will be taking the LSAT. So I have been crammed up inside my room studying logic puzzles and such like a good oh philosopher. Gosh. So I, I have not unfortunately had much time to go outside, but maybe in when this episode drops, we can put a picture up on uh, our Instagram at open door philosophy and people can check out uh, what we're talking about.
0: Oh, sure. That would actually be great. Um, you know, Henry David Thoreau would, would recommend a walk for you.
1: <laughs> I'll take him up on his advice.
0: <laughs> a, a short walk would, uh, would, would, would help the mind. Uh, <laughs> so last night is really interesting uh, when we let the dogs out for the evening, you know, for that last visit to the yard before we go to bed, our little dog, Alfred, he's a, uh, he's a Chihuahua terrier mix man, he like shot towards the, the grill and pulled something out. And it was about the size of a, of a large rat, but it was a, it was a small possum, like an adolescent possum. (laughs) And, and of course, like, it's so cool. You, You always hear the phrase, you know, well, I don't know if you always hear the phrase, but you know, playing possum, which is like playing like you're dead and was like, oh my gosh, you know, and I was like, no, 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 it's okay. It's okay. And uh, that little possum was just laying there completely lifeless. <laughs> and, 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 and Alfred hadn't done anything to the possum. He just dragged him out. Like the possum wasn't hurt, but he was playing possum. And so, you know, we got the dogs back inside and we stood there. And about 30 seconds later, that little guy hopped right up and just scampered off. I was like, <laughs> I was like, nature's cool. <laughs> like,
1: that's that's so cool. That's so funny.
0: Uh, I I even read once. And I could totally be wrong on this, but I even read once like when possums are playing dead, that like their heart they stop their hearts.
1: Oh my god!
0: Um, and they're breathing so that the predator really believes that they're dead.
1: That's that's a, a bit of an overkill, it seems. But I guess whatever works, you know.
0: <laughs> overkill. That's a good. That's a good joke. <laughs> <That'd been fun. laughs> All right. Well, before we dive into the uh, the, the depths of this episode, uh, Andrew, this is episode ten. We ah, made it.
1: Exciting. <laughs> it is
0: exciting, and I know this isn't an anniversary necessarily, uh, but I did look up. You know what is the traditional gift for 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 tenth anniversary, and uh, and it's ten, T I N ten. So uh, I <laughs> so I would like to know if I were to give you a gift. Uh, what is an item that you'd really like that's made of tin?
1: I think the the most practical thing that anyone can give that's made out of tin is tin foil. You can just make tinfoil foil hats. You can grill with it. <laughs> so I think uh, some tin foil would be uh, a great object made out of tin. What about you? <laughs> Ten pieces of tin foil. Ten pieces
0: of tin foil. I'll go to H E B and get you some uh, some Reynolds wrap or whatever. Well, you know, my first thing I think about is is a cup. A tin cup. Uh you know, tin is light and so it's really great for camping and stuff. So interesting. You can, so, you know, you gotta have your coffee, no matter where you're at, whether you're in the woods or whether you're at your house. So maybe a tin cup. <laughs> well anyway, excited about uh excited about episode ten. We
1: hope we hope everyone enjoys this one. So today's episode is very near and dear to my heart. It's we are going to be talking about Plato, one of his most famous dialogues called the Phaedo. I guess that rhymes almost. Uh, anyway, um, it's a very famous dialogue. Not only does it discuss the last moment of Socrates' life, where he's you know he drinks his hemlock and he dies after being put on death and the apology, but it also really presents this interesting metaphysical account of the human soul. So. I guess just to, give, just to give a little context of, you know, how Socrates has found himself in this position, uh, this is, I believe, the third or fourth dialogue in a series of collections. Uh, the first one is the Euthyphro. So Socrates has been called to court, basically, and, and he's he's been called to, I guess, appear before a, a group of judges, and, and he has this discussion about piety. The next one... Uh, is the trial of Socrates probably the most famous out of the bunch called the Apology? That means defense speech in uh, in Greek, or so, something to that extent. The third one is the Credo or the Crito. That's just a discussion uh, with one of Socrates's pupils about how Socrates should or or why he should not escape, even though he has the chance from his death. And finally, this is the Phaedo, where Plato is thinking about death and because he's about to die. Mr. Parsons, do you have anything to add on this before we launch into the discussion?
0: So the last couple of episodes, we've been talking specifically about books. We talked about uh, Falling Upward, Father Rohr. Uh, last episode with uh, our guest, Carson, we talked about mini Nietzsche books. And so if, if, if you're interested in the books that we're talking about, uh, we do have a list on our website at opendoorphilosophy.com. But also the thing to point out with this particular dialogue that we're talking about today is that it's not a book this dialogue is a will be found in a collection of dialogues so if you're if I mean if you go to Amazon if that's your place and you type in fado uh, it will pop up but but know that it will come as a part of a collection rather than a, than a specific book because it's probably only maybe 70 pages or so yeah it's um, so it's it's short Andrew before we get further into this t- tell us a little bit about about how Plato writes like what what is a dialogue
1: yeah so something interesting that Plato does in all of his dialogues i i believe he uses this mouthpiece of socrates to write and there's usually i mean i guess there're always for it to be a dialogue there's a there's a certain interlocutor or person that socrates is kind of debating against to uh, in the Republic, he he argues against this guy named Thrasymachus and Glaucon, a bunch of people. In Credo, he discusses with the Crito or with Crito, and Phaedo, he's he's discussing with uh, a few people. Now, there's a lot of historical, or, or I guess not historical, but a lot of analysis on why Plato's actually using this method. But I think my favorite, which I've kind of alluded to before in previous episodes is that the dialogue, one, it makes the reader feel like they're part of the conversation, which is great. These are very easy to read, by the way, I think, at least to get through. But secondly, it offers a great kind of method for practicing philosophy, thinking about the arguments and such. Mm -hmm. I think that often in these arguments, we see that there, there are points to disagree with Socrates about. And I think Plato is specifically using these opportunities to kind of engage with the reader and ask them to question Socrates uh, and provide room for kind of commentary, I guess, on the reader's part, uh, which is pretty cool.
0: Yeah. And as a follow-up question, um, you know, we say this is Plato's dialogue, yet in all these dialogues, the person who's really doing the talking is the character of Socrates. So when we say Socrates says this,
1: Is that Socrates talking or is that Plato talking? Because we call it Plato's dialogue. Uh, I think I'm going to give it an answer that you taught me a few years ago. So yeah, so I think the the dialogues of Plato are kind of traditionally ascribed to being from three periods. So yeah, at, at least in the beginning, we're pretty sure that although Plato is writing the dialogues, he is kind of recounting the ways that, or or, or something to the extent which Socrates said, and then in the middle and late dialogues of Plato, they're almost certainly different. Like the philosophies would just be very much contradicting. And, you know, you might say, well, uh, is Socrates, was Socrates even alive? Yeah, Socrates was alive. Uh, This practice of using the mouthpiece of someone, even though, and, and kind of recounting what they're saying, but not taking a literal account was very common in in Greek literature. There's a book, Thucydides Histories. He gives this funeral oration uh, from Pericles, and uh, that is not even close to being word for word, but they were both kind of sophists, so Thucydides knew the type of style and techniques that Pericles would have used, and, and he was there, so he could recount it to somewhat extent, but it's not literal. But it gets behind that message. So we, we see this in Greek literature from this time. So it shouldn't be that surprising. So throughout this dialogue, as Socrates is thinking about his own death, his friends, I, I believe, are asked, keep asking him why he's so calm. Uh, and and he, he this is kind of built on the foundational idea that Socrates believes that his soul is immortal, indestructible, and deathless. And he gives a number of arguments for them, but I think his most compelling, his most interesting, certainly, can be found at the end of the book, which is kind of a collection and answers kind of the flaws that his interlocutors poked in earlier arguments. But yeah, the the basic idea of the argument is that the soul is immortal, indestructible, and deathless.
0: Okay, so so before we before we get any further on that, so. So what does Socrates slash Plato mean when they use that word soul? Because like, like there's so much in, in our usage of the word today that there's so there's so many different meanings to it. Like a religious person, when they say soul, they believe in some essence that is uniquely them that will transcend death. Uh, metaphysically, like outside of religion, we might use it to indicate like someone's life force or, um. Or we might mean it to to be someone's say their consciousness or like the emotional seat of, of of human nature. But even in culturally, you know, we use it in phrases like you know, man, I'd love to love to have some soul food. Or we might say of a of a song we heard, remember, like yeah, that song's got a lot of rhythm, but it doesn't have any soul. You know, so there's lots of different usage of this word. So so when we talk about Plato and this dialogue, what what are they talking about when they say soul? Yeah.
1: That's a really good question. In some extents, it can also be a, a good objection to Socrates' argument, which we can go over a little bit later. I think that there's two ways of thinking about how Plato would think of the soul. One is the traditional Greek account, where it's, uh, I believe the word that he uses in the dialogue is suke. This is means something like soul slash mind. So the uh, the Greeks, when they were thinking about the soul, they were thinking, uh, this is almost a pun, that the soul was what was doing the thinking. That's how we were understanding, coming to know. That was what was making decisions for us. So when we kind of think about the mind, we think about it being located, I guess, in the brain or something. But the Greeks thought the soul was the mind, uh, wherever that would be in the body. I guess that doesn't really matter. But yeah, so I think that's a good, Ish account of kind of what the soul would mean uh, another way of thinking Socrates does give some qualities kind of behind it and I asked I was thinking of this question too I was like what is what the heck does Plato mean by soul so I asked my professor he told me that the, the best the best way that you can get it from this dialogue at least how Plato explains it is it's something which is alive and something which makes other things alive. Uh, now, there's, I think there's problems with that, and we can go over them later. But do you think there's anything to add, Mr. Persons?
0: No, I don't think so. I think, I think that covers it. Uh, I do think mm-hmm. of the word logos, which might be a different word than soul, but I know that that logos, well, I know that Socrates, and then by extension, other philosophical traditions that come out of, out of Greece, like Stoicism they refer to the mind as the ruling part. And I know, uh, you know, Plato was a rationalist and believed that uh, our rational part was the ruling part and gave us control over our emotions and our appetites, our urges. So, so, so all that, all that makes sense. That's good.
1: Yeah. So I think we, in episode two, I believe we went over kind of the metaphysics behind the theory of forms. And that's really important in this argument. I think it's one of the first times that Plato goes over this. But how he thinks about forms is really integral into how he thinks that the soul is, I guess, deathless. That's where he brings it first. So let's think about the form of life for a second. Mr. Parsons, what what would you think of something uh, when we think about the form of life? Like, what would you think that that things functions as? Like, what, 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 what's the purpose of the form of life for, for Plato?
0: I mean, I, I know what Plato thought. What do I think? <laughs> Which is, uh, I, I do think we all have uh, purposes that we impart, ascribe to ourselves, uh, that we decide for ourselves. But, uh, but I don't know that there's a, a, a grand metaphysical, cosmological, whatever you want to call it, a divine specific plan. Or purpose to our lives other than like some very broad generalities like uh, caring for others, loving others, I think, is is a part of that, which mm-hmm. is part of caring, I guess. But uh, but I don't think there's anything really, really specific other than that to, to, to do good uh, for yourself and to do good okay. for others.
1: Okay. So, yeah, I think that Plato is coming in this dialogue, certainly with the assumption that everything has a purpose two things, I guess. Everything has a purpose, and that purpose is given by forms. So reflect back to episode two, where we kind of talked back about the theory of forms a little bit more. And so the forms are what gives something its purpose for Plato. So I, I guess to an extent, or it, it's making it exist how it does, thus giving, I guess, sort of its purpose. So if we think about like A tree, for example, that's, I guess, our favorite example that we've used. What is not only giving that tree, like what it looks like, what it is, how we can come to know the tree, that's the forms in one sense. But what also is making the tree internally, what it is, its function and its purpose is the forms itself, right? So if we think about the form of life, just kind of floating around there, and we look at everything that is alive it seems very likely that the form of life is what's making all of these things alive. So this can be from a tree to a cat to our soul. Now something important to think about for Plato is that he thinks the soul is what makes something alive. So the form of life is not giving life to the body, it's giving life to the soul. Now, why might we think this is true? Can the body can the body die? It would seem quite clearly, yes. Bodies die all the time. Like the, the human body dissolves, it will die. It goes, death is a common thing like we've seen in our last episodes, right? But it seems like Socrates believes the soul can't die. Like, does this seem pretty logical so far, Mr. Parsons?
0: Yeah. So, so let me try to, let me try to summarize what I think I understand you've said. So there are th- things that exist in our world. Those things are all around us. Some things are living. Some things are inert, like a rock, uh, but some things are living, like trees, animals, uh, plants, animals, and, and humans. And so the thing that is living is not necessarily the human body or the animal body. The thing that is living is the soul that is within
1: that body? Right, exactly.
0: Okay, and once the body dies, as all things that are living die, it's the soul would, I guess, then continue on because, well, I don't know, uh, you pick it up from there. Did I recap it?
1: Yeah, the recap is is exactly what Plato is thinking. Like that, I think that's something that's just kind of a natural phenomenon that we can observe around us. Things die, but... How does Plato really come to the idea, right? That uh, there's something that's giving life. Like that, why is that? Why does there have to be a soul, right? Well, if we think about life, okay, let's at least come to the assumption or, or the agreement that something is alive, and then something can die, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Things are alive, and then they die.
0: Uh, th- things come into existence, and things come out of existence.
1: Right. Yeah. So if we think about the idea of life, right? There's something almost contradictory about the idea that something that is alive can die. So Plato thinks that this is almost contradictory because life is what's called an essential property for something, right? So this is really interesting, I I think, but it's very confusing. So I'm going to use the best example that I can think of, which is snow. So think about snow. If you go like walk around in the snow barefoot, it's going to be really cold, right? Really, no matter what you do, snow is going to be cold, right? But snow, basically what I'm trying to say is snow can never not be cold, right? I mean, you can introduce heat to it, but at that point snow just isn't snow anymore. It turns into water once once snow is hot. So you can never really introduce heat to snow, because then snow will just burn up and die or whatever, right? Like it'll just disappear. And so in the same way, I think what Plato wants to do is say just as snow can't exist without the property of coldness, something like the soul can exist, can't exist without the property of life now i think what everyone's thinking at this point is andrew like okay you haven't shown that there's a soul and you just said you were going to prove that there's a soul that exists but i guess my point what i'm trying to to show is that if there is something like a body that lives and then dies there must be something in it that remains alive that doesn't die which is Which is giving life to my body. I don't know if this makes sense at all, Mister Parsons. uh, Is this kind of making sense?
0: Oh boy! If you're looking for me to bail you out, we're gonna have we're gonna have a a boat full of water. Um, (laughs) This is a really it really is a very difficult concept that that Plato puts forth here uh, as to why you know he he believes that there is a soul. Uh, I, I do like your example of the snow. Like snow can't be snow can't exist without snow being cold. And so that is an essential property of snow. Uh, once that property leaves it, uh, it's no longer snow, right? And so, so I guess maybe, and tell me if I'm not getting this right, you know, a, a human body has certain essential qualities. And one of those essential qualities is a soul. Um, yeah. And once, once, the, once the body dies, i.e. once the snow melts, yeah, no, no, I don't know if I'm following that right. Okay.
1: am i close (laughs) yeah you're you're really close i think i think there's two parts which are making it difficult to grasp i think one is my explanation of it but i think two really is plato doesn't do he he makes this at least from my reading honestly i think i'm reading it i think if i read this for 80 more years i'll figure it out but um (laughs) i think I'm going to bail myself out here. I think Plato does assume that we have a soul. I think all, all the Greeks from this time assume that humans have a soul because. Yeah. Yeah, I was, was going to say from
0: my reading of it this week, that part of the argument is never quite questioned. Yeah. You know, from an argument standpoint, I'm like, oh, so, so we're all just, we're, we're starting from the point of a, a soul does exist. Yeah. And, and then we get into like more interesting questions of like, well, maybe where does it come from or, or where does it go? And, But, like, the bottom line is it is accepted that a soul does exist.
1: Yeah. So I think that we can think about why the soul exists. Like, I I think we could say, like, yeah, he, he does assume the soul exists. But if we go back and think about what we were saying about the mind, like, we don't really question the mind exists now, right? That's what's doing our thinking. I mean, I guess we could argue that the brain is the mind topic for another episode for sure but just just hang (laughs) with me for this one right like we don't question that the the mind exists i think in much the same way that's how the greeks are thinking about the soul Um, right but the argument that i'm still going upon i think still kind of stands because i was trying what i was trying to prove earlier is that because something in us can't die although the body dies that means that there has to be something in us which exists Plato's, that still necessitates that there's something in us which can't die, which I think is Plato's argument. Let me try to come at this with a different angle, and I think this will make more sense. So let's let's for this moment assume that there is a soul in the body, right? So if we say that the soul exists, right, and the soul is what is alive in our body, it's what causes us to be alive. If we take away the soul from the body, the soul the body is just not alive so the soul is what's alive now what's giving the property of liveness to the soul is uh the form of life right so the soul itself is alive <laughs> i'm starting to sound like an abstract like crazy philosopher <laughs> right now <laughs> well this is what happens <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs>
0: Hey everyone, Mr. Parsons here. We hope you're enjoying the show. And here's just a quick reminder that if you like what we're doing, go ahead and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and give us a positive review. It helps us grow the community around open door philosophy. And here's a sneak preview for episode 11, where we'll be discussing the ancient Roman thinker Cicero and his dialogue on friendship. It should be a good one. We hope to see you there. And now back to the episode. Well, okay. Uh, in the, in the Phaedo doesn't, doesn't Plato actually talk about things that we can see and things we can never see? Like, I, I want to say there's some point where he talks like, where he says, like, w- we can never see the soul. We can see ourselves, but we can never see the soul. And, and that's the difficulty of this argument, right? It's like, you're trying to describe something that we can't see.
1: Right. No, sure. That's, that's definitely an objection. The best objection that I've ever read of this argument is exactly about that point. It's by Dorothea Frede. She's this philosopher, very famous classical philosopher, who argues that she argues against a bunch of arguments that people have against Plato's point. And then she's like, okay, all of these arguments are wrong. But the only way that you can have grounds to criticize Plato's idea is say that, Plato tries to describe something which he never says what is. So he says that the soul has this quality, this quality, this quality, but he never says what the soul is. So yeah, we can, we can believe that these qualities do exist, but we can also not, and we have no obligation to believe they exist. So for instance, like say I've never seen what a car is, right? And then say Mr. Parsons, uh, I say, hey, Mr. Parsons, what's a, uh, what is a car? And you tell me, well, a car is red. It has headlight beams. It has windshield wipers. I'm like, okay, that's really cool and everything. But I like those are all qualities. I could just be thinking that a car is looks like a, a cat or something.
0: You have no idea what I'm talking about, basically. Even though I'm telling you all these qualities, they have no. Uh, they, they make no connection with 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 your understanding of of things.
1: No, that's exactly right. So when Plato says the soul, and he does he does give good arguments for these, which I wish I could articulate. But he when he says that the soul is alive, the soul cannot die, and the soul is indestructible. The Fred Fred's objection is that those are all qualities, but it's not really talking about what the soul is.
0: I don't know how off off track this will be but you know over the over the last summer I read a book called Galileo's Error and it was all about consciousness and this concept or rather this uh, this field of of consciousness called panpsychism that talks about a- a essential qualities a-, a panpsychist's argument is that all living things no in fact all things have a degree of consciousness now it's important to point out a degree of consciousness uh, Panpsychists would not, uh, would not argue that, uh, you know, an, an atom has the same level of consciousness as a human being. So, so degrees of course, but one of the arguments is that, uh, you know, it's from a scientific standpoint and the author Philip Goff says that, uh, you know, from a scientific standpoint, we can talk about what an atom does like an atom spin and they, uh, they bounce off of other, atoms so so you know we talk about we we define what an atom is by what an atom does but his point is like that's great science can tell us that but an atom science does not tell us what an atom is and and maybe that's kind of what you're talking about a bit with the with the soul like like you can't ever really say what it is
1: yeah so i think I think you've done two things with that explanation. One, I think you've perfectly illustrated Freddy's criticism of Socrates. And I think you've also answered her objection uh, in the same light. But it seems like we can't know what the soul is. It's completely, well, I don't know if I'd argue this, but it seems like it's out of our experience. And thus it seems kind of like it's, ridiculous that we try to ascribe essential qualities to it but i think kind of like you stated i don't think it's crazy to think we can't find we still can't understand qualities of things that we don't naturally understand the nature of so i don't know if that fred's freddy's objection is necessarily binding
0: yeah, there are a number of things in our existence that we don't really understand. We know that they exist. We may or may not be able to see them. Uh, there's a lot of things that we can't see that we think we understand. Certainly, mathematics is a good example exactly. of that. When you talk about geometry, yep. you know, a perfect circle, a perfect right angle, these types of things. You know, I also think of Nagel's uh, famous essay on, on what it's like to be a bat. You yep. know, we can see a bat, we can observe a bat. But we will never, we can never really, truly understand the the inner experience of what it's like to be a bat. We don't know what it's like to see with sonar. Uh, we don't know what it's like to fly, uh, and certainly live nocturnally, et cetera, et cetera, So we do, we do imagine and try to use reason to make to make observations about things that we will never observe and or experience. And so the soul is just like another example of that. And so, you know, if we're going to make assumptions about like, you know, what our what our dogs think about and feel, you know, is, (laughs) I mean, at least we can observe a dog and we can see that they wag their tail and all that kind of stuff, but but we don't really know what it's like to be a dog. And and I I guess maybe, maybe that's a counter argument.
1: No, I think that's, that's, that's a perfect example. Exactly what, exactly what I was going for. So, Think about the concept of infinity, right? We can't know what infinity is. It's literally de- indefinable because we can never say, oh, infinity is like 10 or Right, something. we'll never
0: experience infinity.
1: Exactly. But we can still come up with characteristics and qualities about what infinity is, right? We, Like I just said, we know that infinity is indefinable. We know that- It has um, no beginning and no end. Exactly. So we know all of these characteristics about it. There, there's more to uh, I'm not not the, the greatest mathematician in the world, but there's a lot of qualities of infinity, but we don't know what it is. And just the same way, we might not ever be able to experience the soul and really know what it is. But I think it's certainly we can still come to think of arguments about it. Now, something I was just thinking about, though, is like some people think that infinity is just a concept. I think that, too, actually, that, you know, infinity is not something real that exists in the universe. Uh, There's never going to be an infinite amount of gummy bears or something locked in a room. (laughs) Keep me away from them. (laughs) (laughs) So, so yeah, that's that's infinity might be a concept, but it's not necessarily real. And so sure, I don't think that's what Plato's saying.
0: So in the dialogue, Socrates has these uh, conversation partners, you know, we call them interlocutors in, in philosophy, who have questions of Socrates in terms of, you know, okay, so, so taken that a soul does exist, you know, one of the questions is like, well, when it comes into the body, you know, where was it before that? Uh, did it does the soul exist before it comes to a body? And then uh, his other conversation, his other interlocutor you know, suggest like, well, you know, what happens to the soul after the body dies? How do we know that it goes on? So mm. what are uh, what are Plato's arguments to this? Because it's a very important argument for Socrates, who is about ready to die.
1: Yeah, no, it's extremely important. So Socrates, yeah, he's about to die. So what he thinks, very interesting. And I think it sets a long legacy, actually, for these uh, Greek and Roman philosophers, he believes the soul exists has always existed and will forever exist you know the soul is immortal and indestructible so yeah he he thinks that the soul is always there will always be around plato believes in something like reincarnation well that
0: was going to be one of my questions does does his theory imply reincarnation
1: yes yeah so he he does at he does argue in one of his dialogues that reincarnation is a thing uh, so that's very interesting. But let's think about this for a second, about why he thinks the soul is immortal. Simeus comes up to Plato and he's like, hey, yeah, this is a great argument for why the soul exists. But how do we know the soul will always exist, right? So think about like your favorite shirt. You can take it off, you, you know, you can take it off and wear it, take it off and wear it, take it off and wear it. But eventually you're going to wash it enough times that the shirt. I don't know, rips apart or, or is just uh, kind of torn apart by the water, right? So why do we have reason? We can have reason to think the soul exists after death, but we don't have really much reason to think why it's, why it's necessarily exist forever. I think that's definitely something Socrates needs to be thinking about. I think the best argument that Plato gives for why it must is that he thinks, you know, if the soul cannot die right he would almost immediately follow that the soul is immortal for plato an object is only destroyed ceases to exist whatever when it has died that kind of logically makes sense right but if we think that the soul this is kind of some logical trickery i think that socrates pulls out of thin air if the soul cannot die and if something can only be destroyed if it has died, then it follows that the soul cannot be destroyed. I think the argument's certainly valid. This is a very long-winded expression of saying soul is always existing, will exist, and currently exists. What do you think about that, Mr. Parsons? Does that strike you as plausible?
0: You know, with any of these types of arguments, uh, my, my first question is always, well, where, where did the soul come from to begin with? If it's always existed, you know, this is, a, a, as we understand the workings of our universe, cause and effect, the law of causation, you know, something always results from something else. Uh, an action always results yep. from uh, some other previous action. It's the, sa- it's the very same argument whether we're talking about the origin of the universe, whether we're talking about where God came from or whatever. You know, if, if we say God has always existed, well, that, that's great. But our understanding about the law of causation is that everything is always caused. Something always causes something else. You know, so, so if that's true of everything in the universe, then, yep. you know, what caused God? And the same. This seems like the same argument with the idea that the soul has always existed. You know, if that's true, great. Uh, but why is in this one case the, the law of causation not in play? Like, so, so that that's that's kind of my criticism of it. Is like, okay, cool, souls exist and always have. Mm-hmm. I can go with that. But like, where do souls come from? Yeah. So, <laughs> um, yeah, so. I
1: think uh, you're reminding me of something. I think maybe. Aristotle prefaces this in his book On the Soul. By the way, this is a very interesting fact. In ancient times in antiquity, this book was not called the Phaedo, but it was called De Anima, which means on the soul. But I think that it was changed. I, uh, mm. Maybe this is wrong. It was changed to the Phaedo maybe because Aristotle has the same book by the same name de anima which is very famous well, right? a lot
0: of the dialogues are named after characters in the dialogue too so maybe they're kind of keeping with that tradition yeah kind of yeah well, Andrew, this has been a wide ranging conversation about uh, the Phaedo by by plato it's really complicated we've addressed the fact that some of these concepts are really out there so how about how about this question why is Plato just not some crazy guy? Why is this like some great respected dialogue by him instead of people thinking like, oh, he's just some some old man spouting out ridiculous ideas?
1: No, great question. When I was first reading Plato, I was like, ah, yeah, forms. That's some old concept by the Greeks that has no application now. It's kind of ridiculous. But when you read these arguments, and I hope everyone does, it's like, You need to consider that these things might actually exist uh, and and try to, the burden needs to be on you, I think, to disprove these arguments and come up with a good reason why they're not true. So I think there's a tendency for Plato, especially for an argument such as this, to be like, ah, yeah, this is ridiculous. The soul doesn't exist. But think about why you think that. Uh, This might be like our practical reasoning of the day. Because this isn't just some fun experiment. Plato is, Socrates is in the last moments of his life. This is continuing on, I guess, from our, so it's two weeks ago or so. But think about, like, why is this argument wrong? Uh, why do we have reason to believe that this is not true? I think, you know, right? Like, I think there is reason to believe that this might be true. And I think that, you know, there's there's later philosophers like, Augustine and Aquinas who adopt some of these ideas is yeah, I think there is forms that exist, albeit in God, but yeah, I think there's certainly reason to believe that this argument might exist. Uh, so this is Andrew's spout on why classics is important still today but yeah, I think it's it's easy to dismiss these arguments based on a presupposition that the Greeks are wrong, they're old, they're outdated. But that's a logical flaw if I've ever seen one. Yeah. Mr. Parsons, what do you think? Why do you think Plato's some old crazy dude? <laughs>
0: well, he may have been an old crazy dude, but he's one of the most brilliant ones. There's going to be so, you know, w- with philosophy, you're going to have a hard time finding a philosopher that you agree with on everything 100 percent. I, I would wager you, you won't. Except yourself. Except yourself, of course. <laughs> but, you know, Plato is Plato so foundational um, in philosophy yeah. in terms of uh, methodology, certainly, but, but also in, in terms of just rationalistic ideas. And, and when you combine him with Aristotle, you just have this tremendous foundation of Western thought. So he's, he's important from that perspective. Whether or not you agree with him, in terms of whether or not there's a soul well that's the work of philosophy itself go get the dialogue go read it and 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 you you challenge plato's conclusions uh you challenge his premises and, and that that's the work of philosophy not whether or not you come to agreement with with plato and that's probably why plato is so great is that there's so much to dig into uh again i, I feel like that's that's kind of the work of philosophy the digging into not necessarily coming to agreement and it's through that work that, you know, a person is able to to find their own philosophical voice, which ultimately helps us, you know, live a better, a more reasoned life.
1: I think that's certainly right. I, I'm going to end, I think, with this, at least for what I have to say, um, echoing that. I, I've been told recently, I think this is true, that philosophers are in the business of explanation. They're not in the business of oh, yeah, this is what uh, seems true, or I guess they could be. But people just want to explain what is. And if you want to engage with them, and I think you should, the place to start always is asking why.
0: Well, then I think we are done with Fado and the wrestling with the question of whether or not we have an immortal soul. Uh, There'll be more to say on it in future episodes. No doubt, it's one of the biggest questions in philosophy. But that's Plato's take. And that means it's time to head over to the Quote Corner. Okay, welcome to the Quote Corner, everybody. A segment of our show where we take a philosophical quote and rate it on a scale of one to five stars. This is my week, and I wanted to pick something that was uh, that was kind of funny. <laughs> so one of the great... Stoic philosophers is a guy by the name of Epictetus and his dialogues. Uh, the, the fun thing about Epictetus is, is he's a little sassy uh, from, from time to time. So this is a, this is a particularly sassy uh, quote. <laughs> so it, it deals with people, you know, w- wanting, wanting God to solve their problems. So here's the quote. Please, God, we say, relieve me from my anxiety. <laughs> Listen, stupid. You have hands. God gave them to you himself. You might as well get on your knees and pray that your nose won't run. A better idea would be to wipe your nose and forgo the prayer. The point is, isn't there anything God gave you for your present problem? You have the gifts of courage, fortitude, and endurance. With hands like these, do you still need somebody to help you wipe your nose? So that's from Epictetus Dialogue, Book 2, Chapter 16. So that's a fun one
1: <laughs> yeah this takes the cake for the funniest uh quote from the quote quarter i think definitely shows you the sassiness of Epictetus. i'm just going to i'm going to give it five <laughs> <laughs> i'm going to discuss it you're just <laughs> dropping five boom yeah i'll, I'll <laughs> explain after you but okay yeah, it's a five for me uh
0: well one thing i would love to know is like uh exactly what other words might be translated for that word stupid <laughs> <laughs> I mean is he just frustrated with his students? Um, so I guess it's something to point out about his dialogues. uh Epictetus did not write anything down. his students are the ones who who recorded his lectures so he must have been in a bad mood. Uh, I know, as a teacher, sometimes I want to uh, to say, "Hey, you idiot! <laughs> Just turn in your work and stop making excuses." Uh, probably with me a lot of the time. <laughs> no, Back no, in the no. day, I'm sure not. Uh, but anyway, to, uh, outside of that, you know, this is this in a way. I don't know. Uh, there's a couple of things. You have the concept of the diffusion of responsibility, right? So it's like, oh. I just can't handle this situation. Someone needs to handle it for me, uh, you know, so I'm going to appeal to God. Uh, please help me, you know, and, and that's fine and that's great. But I think Epictetus is like, it, yeah, but take a look at yourself real quickly and see whether or not you have the tools to handle this already. See that the tools are already within you. There's no one you need to ask for help from. You You've got the tools to do it. Now, now there is some question in terms of, you know, things we're not addressing here with Epictetus, with things like, um, you know, mental depression or, or diagnosed anxiety. You know, he uses that word, relieve me from my anxiety. You know, so there are some things that are you know, your chemical makeup of your of your body. But I think at the end of the day, Epictetus is like, hey, man, just stop your whining and, and, and get to it. Whatever task is in front of you that you find impossible, you have within you the tools to uh, to handle it.
1: So, so handle it. <clears throat> it's like it's like tough talk, tough talk from dad. Yeah, I mean, you know, Epictetus was a slave before. I guess he was a, a big philosopher. So it's it kind of reminds me of those kind of memes, I guess, where it's like back in my day, uh, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, or or like where they're showing like the 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 grandfather. The grandfather is like fighting the Nazis and the kid is complaining about his Xbox not turning on or something, right? Right, right. Like Epictetus, uh if Epictetus is saying this, like he's saying, Stop complaining. Like you can you can do what you need to do, I guess. Like this guy had it rough. <laughs> and so it seems like, you know, he is he's definitely in the position to talk about this. He's not a he's not a Seneca. Who no, by means is very smart, but very wealthy and has a lot of things. This guy, this guy's been through the run of the mill.
0: Yeah. Epictetus was a slave um, before he became a philosopher. And uh, I don't think philosophy was the highest paying job back in the day. No, But I also want to say he had a limp.
1: Yeah. His slave owner was particularly known for being brutal. And as a child, supposedly uh, his, his master, Twisted his leg as a punishment, and he kept twisting because Epictetus wasn't showing any emotion. This is supposedly, you know, probably not true because he wasn't crying or anything. Epictetus, (laughs) you're right. Yeah. So Epictetus said something like, you know, uh, you're not going to want to go too far. My leg is going to snap. And the guy snapped his leg, and Epictetus didn't cry. So supposedly, he had this lump all his life. So from a
0: guy who was a slave and is limping around his entire life, uh, he's telling his students. (laughs) stop your wine and suck it up and get it done. (laughs) (laughs) Stupid.
1: (laughs) Imagine, imagine having him as a philosophy teacher.
0: Oh my gosh, there'd be no room for error. (laughs) No no room for excuse rather. Like, oh, I'm sorry. I, I, I had to work late last night. I couldn't get my homework done. He'd be like, what do you control and what do you not control? In our <laughs> <order>. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my
1: goodness. So, so what's your uh, what's your rating? Oh,
0: I'm giving it a five. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think, of course, there's some arguments against it, but you know, sometimes we need some good old straight talking, and, uh, and Epictetus here is is telling us what's up.
1: <laughs> yeah. No, I totally agree. Well, all right. There you have it, folks. <laughs> Alrighty, righty, everybody, that's going to be it for today's episode. Thank you for spending your very precious time left on Earth, at least with your physical body, with us today. <laughs>
0: We'd love it if you'd leave a positive review and hit that subscribe button wherever you listen to podcasts so you'll know when uh, new episodes drop and, and pass it on to your friends who uh, are part body and soul.
1: We'd love to hear from you. If you'd like to tell us what you think about the show, have a question you'd like to, for us to discuss, philosophy quote you'd like us to rate, or just wanting to clarify what the heck I said, please email us at opendoorphilosophy@gmail.com. at gmail.com. That's right. And you can follow all the
0: philosophy on Twitter and Instagram and our website at opendoorphilosophy.com, uh where you can find many things about the show, uh, including uh, links for the books that we discuss.
1: Let me give a special thanks to Dorothea Frede for a great objection today for us to use. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. And remember, when your life seems in need of some philosophy, the door is always open.